Welcome to the Immortal Souls Podcast, where we explore the history, stories, myths, legends, and hype that make shoes what they are today. We are Jared and Nick, two brothers with a passion for shoes. We are excited to have you along for the journey. Nineteen eighty-eight. What a year! In nineteen eighty-eight, Rain Man, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Coming to America ruled the box office. The Broadway show, The Phantom of the Opera, first debuted. If you flipped on the TV, you might tune in for the smash TV shows, The Cosby Show, Cheers, or Golden Girls. Chart toppers such as George Michael's Faith. Whitney Houston's Where Do Broken Hearts Go and Michael Jackson's The Way You Make Me Feel ruled the airwaves. Oh, and the world continued to be rickrolled by Rick Astley's number one chart topper, Never Gonna Give You Up. In 1988, the cost of a movie ticket was $3.50 and a gallon of gas was $0.88. The Calgary Winter Olympics happened this year. Stephen Hawking published A Brief History of Time, and the U.S. Air Force's stealth bomber was first unveiled to the world. In the fashion world, it was all about mini skirts, shirts with shoulder pads, and big hair for the girls. And if you're a guy, you might be sporting acid wash jeans, a mullet hairdo, oh, yeah. and a members-only jacket. Cell phones were as big as bricks and cost 50 cents a minute to use on top of $100 of monthly service fees. In this year, we saw the debuts of The Wonder Years, Garfield, Friends, and Roseanne. 1988 also saw the international debut of the next generation, 16-bit gaming console, the Sega Genesis. With so many landmark societal and pop culture moments, how could this year possibly get any more historic? Oh, did we mention that a humble little shoe called the Air Jordan 3 debuted in 1988? With so much awesomeness coming out of the 80s, basketball shoes, and specifically Air Jordans, were no exception. The 80s ushered in some of the most hyped and sought-after Air Jordans in the entire Jordan collection. To this day, sneakerheads and shoe collectors consider the Air Jordan 3 as one of the most iconic and all-time greats in the Air Jordan lineup. With good reason, too. From its simplistic silhouette and clean lines to the daring yet somewhat understated elephant print pattern on the shoes, these were and still are immediately recognizable and effortlessly cool. While maintaining a simple elegance, they were also bold, fresh, and new. They were, and still are, pure sneaker awesomeness. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, though. First, a little history of the shoe. When last we left off in our Air Jordan saga, Bruce Kilgore and Peter Moore had helped design the Air Jordan 1 and 2 models. The Air Jordan 1s were immediately successful, and the 2s were generally successful, albeit with some mixed reviews. 
especially with its high price tag for the time. Production for the third model started, but it was at this time that Nike cut ties with Moore and Kilgore, as well as Nike's VP of Marketing, Rob Strasser. According to Jordan's agent at the time, David Falk, Strasser and Phil Knight, the co-founder of Nike, were not seeing eye-to-eye on the future of the Jordan line. Strasser wanted Jordan shoes to branch off from Nike as its own brand, but Phil Knight thought it was just too soon. So, Strasser started making plans to form his own shoe brand instead. During this time, Moore and Strasser left Nike within just a week of each other and founded their own startup company, Van Grack. With the Jordan Shoes lead designer now out of the picture, production of the upcoming third model of Air Jordan Shoe ground to a halt and fell months behind schedule. To make matters worse, Jordan's initial five-year, $2.5 million contract with Nike was about to expire. Moore and Strasser tried convincing MJ to jump ship from Nike and become the face of their new shoe company, with the added hope that this would undercut Nike's success and profitability. Also... Adidas, who Michael had formerly dreamed of signing with, was now interested in signing him. At this point, Michael was firmly in the driver's seat and he could go wherever he wanted. Some accounts state that Michael considered or even wanted to leave Nike, but after some convincing from Nike as well as from his father, he decided to stick with the company who had thus far treated him well. To fill Moore's spot and to get things back on track with design of the next Air Jordan shoe, Nike assigned Tinker Hatfield the job of working with Michael to develop the Air Jordan 3. Tinker Hatfield was an architect who joined the company in 1981 at the behest of his old college track coach Bill Bowerman, one of Nike's co-founders, to help work on designing some marketing materials and also retail and office spaces for the company. Hatfield grew interested in shoe design, and he was eager to bring his architectural design sensibilities to shoes. He transitioned over to shoe design in 1985, where he started developing shoes such as the Nike Air Max 1 and the Nike Air Trainer, which is considered to be the first cross-trainer shoe ever made. After Moore and Strasser left Nike, production of the Air Jordan 3 was six months behind schedule. The monumental task of getting production back on schedule salvaging the Air Jordan line and, connected to this, keeping MJ happy enough to stick with Nike and not jump ship over to Van Grack's shoes, fell on Hatfield. We can't help but speculate about the immense pressure Hatfield must have felt during this time. First, he didn't really know Michael well, let alone have any sort of previous working relationship with him. Also, he'd never worked on an Air Jordan shoe before, And as it was, he only had two years of shoe design under his belt. With the odds seemingly against him, how in the heck was Hatfield to keep Michael on board with the company? This absolutely had to happen if Nike wanted to salvage the Jordan brand, and quite possibly the fortunes and success of the Nike brand generally. He needed to hit a home run. Hatfield was up to the challenge as he set out to help create MJ's dream shoe. As soon as he could, he hopped on a plane and got together with Michael to get to know him better and to gather feedback about what Michael wanted in his next shoe. Michael wanted a shoe that was more lightweight and durable and less restrictive than the previous two models. He also had an eye for fashion and had a penchant for expensive Italian suits and shoes. Michael wanted the shoes to reflect this fashion sense. 
Unlike most shoe designers at the time, Hatfield listened. This was a rare thing for shoe designers to do at the time. In fact, Hatfield recalled in a 2005 interview with the Portland Tribune that, quote, I don't think Michael had ever been worked with that way. In fact, I don't think anyone in the footwear business had done it that way, close quote. Drawing inspiration from the previous models of Air Jordans, as well as a free throw dunk pose, elephants, and Jordan himself, Hatfield got to work on his masterpiece. He spent many sleepless weeks and months poring over the design, traveling to and from Asia to meet with production sources, and developing a working prototype. Eventually, Hatfield's vision started to come together and take shape. Hatfield designed a mid-top shoe, which was the first mid-top model ever in the Jordan shoe lineup. This provided Michael with the added flexibility and durability that he wanted. When it came to materials, Hatfield incorporated interesting and new materials such as nubuck and tumbled leather into the design. The tumbled leather not only added a fashionable flair to the shoe, but as it is by nature a softer leather, it made it so Michael would not need to break the shoe in, which worked well with Michael's preference to wear a new pair of sneakers for every game. This new shoe also sported the first visible air unit in the soles of the shoes, as well as a bold elephant print design on the toe box. The large swoosh found on previous models of Air Jordans was completely removed from the side of this new shoe and relegated to the back of the shoe. Now to the issue of the Air Jordan logo. Perhaps the biggest and most striking change Tinker Hatfield made to the Air Jordan 3 was ditching the Wings logo that was found on the Air Jordans 1 and 2 and instead sporting, for the first time, the Jumpman logo on the tongue of the shoe. As Hatfield browsed through notes and design sketches Peter Moore had left behind, he came across the Jumpman logo. Hmm. He loved it and he knew that this had to be a part of his new model. So he put it front and center on the shoe. This now globally iconic logo is undoubtedly the most famous athlete logo in sports today, if not of all time. The Jumpman logo originated in 1984 when Michael posed for a photo shoot for Life magazine before the 1984 Olympic Games. This was well before Michael had even signed with Nike. The photo was staged, with Michael performing a ballet technique known as a grand jeté to make it look like he was leaping for a slam dunk, which is interesting considering this particular type of move wasn't really consistent with Jordan's jumping style. In a 1997 interview with Hoop magazine, Michael went into detail on the photo shoot, commenting, quote, I wasn't even dunking on that one. People think that I was. I just stood on the floor, jumped up and spread my legs and they took the picture. I wasn't even running. Everyone thought I did that by running and taking off. Actually, it was a ballet move where I jumped up and spread my legs. And I was holding the ball in my left hand. Close quote. In 1985, Jordan recreated this same pose for Nike, this time in a pair of Air Jordan 1s to promote the shoes. The Jumpman logo appeared on the hang tag for the Air Jordan 1s, as well as in print advertisements for the shoe in the summer of 1985, but it didn't officially make its debut on Air Jordan shoes until this new and upcoming number 3 model. As an aside, 
Check out our show notes to see video of the Jumpman photo shoot, as well as some of the first glimpses of the Jumpman logo. We don't know exactly why Nike approved of Hatfield quietly, yet boldly, replacing the Wings logo for the Jumpman logo for this third iteration of the Jordan line of shoes. But it isn't a stretch of the imagination to think it very well could partly have had to do with the separation of Nike with Peter Moore and Rob Strasser and the ensuing bad blood between them. Plus, in our opinion, and we suspect Nike's too, the Jumpman logo just looks so much cooler on shoes. Whatever the reason, this would, after all is said and done, prove to be a stroke of luck or genius, or both, as the Jordan brand has since raked in billions of dollars in revenue and currently makes about $3 billion in revenue annually. Obviously, the Jumpman logo worked out just fine. Back to the story. As quickly as they could, Hatfield and a co-designer, Rob Dumas, banged out a rough sample of the shoe, and Hatfield flew out to California with CEO Phil Knight to present the concept to Michael. This was, as Hatfield put it at the time, the biggest presentation of his life. A lot was riding on this meeting. As previously mentioned, the fate of the Air Jordan line of shoes and Nike, to a large extent, hung on this meeting. Hatfield knew that he had to wow Michael. Well, he ended up waiting four hours in the conference room before Michael finally showed up, having just finished up a golf game with, ironically, the now ex-Nike executives Strasser and Moore. Jordan came into the meeting seemingly going through the motions, and considering who he had just been hanging out with on the links, it's no surprise he wasn't feeling it with Nike at this particular moment. Perhaps somewhat disinterested or begrudgingly, Jordan asked Hatfield to show him what he had. Hatfield reviewed his previous meetings with Jordan and the things that Jordan had said he wanted in his next sneaker. He then uncovered the prototype and, well, it was love at first sight. Michael was won over with the design. The meeting was a slam dunk success. Michael was staying with Nike and the Air Jordan 3 was about to officially make its debut. The Air Jordan 3 finally hit the market in February of 1988, retailing for $100 a pair and releasing in four now classic colorways, white and cement gray, black and cement gray, and two other white and cement gray versions with hits of fire red and true blue, respectively. To promote the shoes, Nike released a series of funny commercials featuring Michael and a young Spike Lee acting as his fictional character, Mars Blackman. From the film, She's Gotta Have It. Yo, Mars Blackman here with my main man, Michael Jordan. Yo, Mike, what makes you the best player in the universe? Is it the vicious stunts? No, Mars. Is it the haircut? No, Mars. Is it the shoes? No, Mars. Is it the extra long shorts? No, Mars. Is the shoes it, right? Nah. Is it the short socks? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. What about the shoes? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. It is from these commercials that the phrase, it's gotta be the shoes, became a famous catchphrase for Air Jordans. It's gotta be the shoes. These commercials were massively successful, and they are considered to be a major factor in propelling the sneakerhead and sneaker-collecting culture forward, and also making people view sneakers as fashion items with massive value and profitability. Similar to the ones and twos, the threes were an instant success. 
The hype around the shoes only increased as that year, Michael wore them while winning the 1988 Slam Dunk Contest and a whole slew of other awards, including NBA MVP, NBA All-Star, NBA All-Star Game MVP, NBA Steals Champion, NBA Scoring Champion, and NBA Defensive Player of the Year. It was clear, even this early in his career, that Michael was a generational talent. He was a superstar still on the rise, and this only drove further sales of the shoes and added fuel to the blooming Air Jordan hype. The Air Jordan 3s have since been retroed many times, with the first retro release happening just six years later in 1994. Other notable Jordan 3 releases of the original colorways have happened in 2014, 2016, and most recently, 2018, to commemorate the 30-year anniversary of the shoe's initial release. 2018 and 2019 has also brought us a few versions of the 3s known as the Tinkers. These are special editions honoring Tinker Hatfield that have a large Nike swoosh on the side of the shoe, similar to some of his earliest design sketches of the shoe. Now, Nick, if I'm not mistaken, you wear a pair of retro Jordan 3s in your daily rotation of shoes. So I'm just curious, what are your overall thoughts about them as far as style, wearability, comfort, any general impressions? I would have to say my overall impression with the Jordan 3 is that while it's not my favorite model of Air Jordan, I'm always amazed and pleasantly surprised at how much more I like the shoe once I'm wearing it and once it's part of my part of my outfit and part of my look for the day. If I'm just looking at the Jordan 3 on a shelf next to other shoes, generally I'm not going to pick it first. Yet, once it's on my feet, I love how it looks. I usually get some sort of compliment or some sort pe- people recognize the shoes um, and appreciate it when I wear them. So that would be my my overall thought and impression. And as far as comfort goes, they are pretty comfortable. They're not the most breathable of shoes, but that's okay because they definitely are an iconic look and they're not, I mean, they're comfortable enough that you can wear them the whole day and you're none the worse for it. Yeah. And at the very least, they're definitely eye-catching. It's one of those iconic model of shoes that is instantly recognizable and people know what they are. So even that in and of itself, I think, makes them kind of fun to wear. And being a a black and red colorway guy myself, I had to pick up the black and cement gray version that just retroed earlier this year. I just couldn't help but get a pair for my collection. And I, I love them. They're sweet looking shoes. So the Air Jordan 3 was a landmark shoe. It was the first time the Jumpman logo was featured on an Air Jordan. It was the first Jordan designed by the legendary Tinker Hatfield, who went on to design many more iconic Air Jordan models. Jordan won his first MVP award wearing these sneakers. He soared to slam dunk contest legend status sporting them. This was also the first year NBA coach Phil Jackson coached for Michael's team, the Chicago Bulls. Although Jordan's basketball legacy was already well underway, this shoe seems to be the first that propelled him to superstardom. Perhaps most importantly, it will be remembered as the shoe that both saved and defined the Jordan brand. It helped establish the sneaker collecting culture. Considered one of the all-time greats in the Air Jordan sneaker lineup, the Air Jordan 3 transcends the bounds of just the Jordan brand, and its influence is still seen and felt to this day among many different sneaker designs and brands. Do you know who the best playing game is? 
me, Mars Blackman, and I'm way above the rim, demonstrating some serious hang time. Very serious. Do you know how I get up for my game? Do you know, do you know, do you know? That's right, Air Jordan, Air Jordan, Air Jordan. Mike, what's up? Oh, m money, money, why you wanna do that to me? Why you leave me hanging? Come on, I got it. Oh, Mike, man. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Immortal Souls podcast. For more information, show notes, pictures, or just to say hi, check us out at immortalsoulspodcast.com, Instagram, or Twitter. Original theme music by Scott Spriggs. Five-star reviews are always helpful and hugely appreciated. Until next time, keep walking the roads less traveled.